So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Outposts of Heaven, the podcast. This is Emily Jordan here with my husband, Andrew. Hey guys, it's been a second, but we're excited to be recording this, recording and releasing this fun episode. It's one that we've been wanting to record for a while, and I was just telling our guests before we started that uh, it's a, a topic that's very, very relevant, uh, but we struggled finding a good expert to come on and talk about this, and I think we found a really fun couple to come on and I give some very honest and faith-filled advice and background and it's gonna be fun. Yeah so we have Katie and Matt Davis here. Hi guys. Hi hey, guys. How's it going? Um Katie and Matt, would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? Um your family, how you met, um yeah, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So like you guys said, I'm Katie and my husband, Matt, we've been married for six years. Um, we both grew up in Utah and we served our missions in Armenia. And that's how we met. It was one of those classes. You too. Like, you did? Yes. We just no, served Armenia. Not in Armenia, in Russia, but that's how we met too. Oh, that's so cool. So, so Barev, that's the only thing I know. Yeah. That's all I, I know you were kind of speaking a little yeah. bit earlier and I was like, oh, I think that was Russian, but I, I don't know well enough. So I didn't want to ask. Yeah. But. That's amazing. Okay. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we served, that's how we met classic story. So that's one that you guys did that too. Yeah. Super cute. Um, were you going to say something? Oh, no. Oh, so we, we both grew up in Utah. And um, when Matt came home from his mission, I had been home for about a year off of my mission. We got married super fast and we have two kids now. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And we, about a year ago, moved to South Carolina where we are hoping to like start up a hobby farm. We have a few things going, some animals, a garden. We're, We're just, fully into it. We have, we, we have... <laughs> Four chickens, two geese, two ducks, we got a sheepdog, two toddlers. Oh my so. goodness. Two toddlers. <laughs> they're in. And they're, yeah. both, right. they're probably the single messiest of our pair of the bunch, I'm sure. Yeah, it's right. Solid. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so why yeah, South Carolina? Do you have like any like family there or a job there? Like what took you to South Carolina if you're both from Utah? No, we don't have family or a job. Matt works Like no home. connections. No connections. We literally were just like, we knew we wanted to move to like the Southish. We wanted to buy um, a home that was affordable, some property. So we were just like looking at a few different states and we're like, wherever we find the house, that's where we're supposed to go. So it so, ended up being South Carolina. Yeah, we just spent like four or five months on Zillow, just trying to find like, it was just, it was just like at least two acres and at least like four bedrooms and like whatever it was. And just when it popped up, we call a realtor and like, we just ended up here. So Oh That's my so gosh, awesome. I'm like blown away. <laughs> what an adventure. <laughs> it has wow. been. It's been really fun. Yeah, both of both of our families are back in Utah. So they okay. were supportive, but very sad that we yeah. were leaving them. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. So yeah. are there is there a large Armenian population there in South Carolina for you to <laughs> no. your Armenian with? 
Unfortunately, no. Pretty much none. Yeah. <laughs> but you have each other to talk to, I guess. You yeah. do, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what a like fun, a... what a fun place to remission. The Armenians, for those people, I know a lot of people in the US aren't really familiar with Armenia or Armenian yeah. culture. Super fun culture, right? Like they're like so a fun. especially for Eastern Europe, they are a very, very warm people. And they're very fun and they have really good food, which is very important when you live in Russia and there's not a ton of good food. Yeah. Right. You need to have the Armenians and your Uzbekistanians and your Kyrgyzians to come bring you good food. <laughs> yeah. uh, or so you can go to their stores and get good food at bring least. Bring the flavor. Yeah. And we had <laughs> oh, lots of Armenian. So fun. Yeah. And we had lots of Armenian members in in Moscow and then in this in our mission. So we had lots of good, good um, lavash and all that stuff. Nice. It's awesome. I love that you guys know about that. Yeah. It's really special for both of us as I'm sure your missions yeah. are for you. Oh yeah. And I mean, I'm, I, one of my favorite things about Armenian culture, this is a side, like a side story. I'm sorry, anybody who's not interested in this at all, but <laughs> um, Armenian Orthodox churches are beautiful and super, super unique. Yeah. Right. So if you, if you ever have a chance to go visit an Armenian Orthodox church somewhere in the world, Go do it. It's super cool. They're like, they're really cool. At least the ones in Moscow, they frequently use like red stones in them. And they were like slightly different than the Russian Orthodox churches. And they just had a cool kind of like medieval look about them that I really liked. They totally do. Yeah, so true. And like a lot of them were built in the Middle Ages, in Armenia at least. And so yeah, it's it's really cool. Some cool history there for sure. Yeah. And like, I didn't know Armenia is like a super old kingdom. Like yeah. they were yeah. like when, <laughs> sorry, I'm just going to geek out a little bit. It's like when Rome was first expanding into the Middle East and they were like fighting with Persia, mm-hmm. Armenia was like the main in-between kingdom between the Persians and the Romans. And so like the Romans and the Persians were like fighting over who controlled Armenia for like hundreds of years. Wow. So Armenia is a super cool place, lots of cool culture and Anyway, I love it. You can learn about history. Well, I studied political science at BYU, oh, so nice. oh, yeah. so so I, I and I studied. I focused on Eastern Europe, so I have a little bit of an cool. in on Eastern Russia. So okay. okay, this has nothing to do with our topic, no. guys. I'm sorry to derail <laughs> us, but it's not surprising though. So. No, that's my job. I derail things, and then Emily gets us on track. We are going to be talking today about a serious and sensitive topic, but one that hopefully we can get the conversation started here so you can talk about this more openly and confidently in your own homes. Um, we're talking about pornography, addiction, and um, trauma betrayal. I can't say that without like tripping over. I, I, <laughs> I say it in my head yeah. easily, but then I say that loud, I'm like, bit of bit. <laughs> trauma betrayal. Betrayal trauma. I said it wrong, right? Betrayal trauma. You're doing a great job. <laughs> well, we'll leave that in there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's embarrassing. So, um, so we don't mess up any of the details. Uh, you guys talk about this a lot on your, um, on your Instagram channel. This is kind of your, your mission. So can you guys give a quick overview of your mission and, and how you guys came to focus on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time coming, but our Instagram account, we started last November. Um, I just had been feeling for so long, like I needed to share kind of my experience, our experience together with people. And we've done like a lot of different ways of like sharing it, but we landed on Instagram and we have an account called Upward, Inward, Outward. Um, And it's called Upward, Inward, Outward, just because we feel like that's the way that we need to work in like our life of like receiving revelation from upward like fixing ourselves inward and then like spreading outward. And, um, and 
So I started it. We started our Instagram account in November of last year. And we share our experience of um, dealing with the effects of porn use in our marriage. And so I have struggled with viewing porn. I viewed porn for the first time when I was six years old. Um, and I've been viewing it like consistently since I was about 11 years old. Um, and I brought that right into our marriage where like Katie didn't know about it when we got married. And so she had to deal with the effects of finding out about that. Um, and, but ultimately now I've been four years porn free. And so Katie and I share on our Instagram account, just how, how we found healing, how we found hope, how others can find that, um, how it's built our faith and just our experience and our knowledge, um, about this topic. That's great. So we have like heard podcast episodes or like stories and things about um, like individuals either going through this or like being the spouse that whose spouse is going through this and how like their personal recoveries or like how their marriages have fallen apart. But like, I love that you guys are working as a team to not only like share the content, but you're working as a team to like to to heal and to stick together and like really help each other. So yeah. that's really inspiring. Most content that at least I've seen or read or watched on this topic generally focuses on the individual who's who's recovering and repenting from from pornography use and pornography addiction. And then if they bring in the spouse's perspective, it's usually like kind of a side cameo, right? Like here's like the spouse about talking about her or his initial reaction and how hard it was. And then it was mm -hmm. back to the process of like the individual repenting. And I don't think that's necessarily inappropriate, right? It's just a different type of content, different audience. But what I really liked about what you guys are doing is that you're focusing on like the effects on the marriage, right? On like specifically the marriage relationship on both parties and then how the savior comes into play for both parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We really just love that, that you guys are, are a team in this, a team in sharing and that you're talking about how this affects a marriage. So we wanted to kind of bring in like three different phases of this kind of recovery. And it's like how, how this whole thing affects a marriage before the spouse knows about it. And then how it affects a marriage while they're finding out about it or like recently after and like, I mean, and then even like the recovering process, even like, yeah, the recovering yeah. and repenting. And then kind of finally, after like, you've been sober now for four years. So like, how is, how is this affecting your marriage at this point? So we can start from the beginning, I guess. Yeah. Um, how, <laughs> yeah. How has this affected your marriage in the beginning before, I guess, before you knew? Katie, because you didn't know. So then, yeah, no. Yeah. The thing about like pornography is it's just so rooted in like shame and like dishonesty and isolation. And so, as like the person who was going through it um, myself and like dealing with it, you're just like living this double life where, on one hand, you're like viewing pornography, you're like actively like sinning and lying to your wife. Um, but then on the other side, you're you're trying to hide it and like be like this perfect person to them. And it's just like super damaging to relationships and it's super damaging to like yourself. And, but it's just like how you've learned to cope. It's how you've learned to deal with life because that's usually where like addiction comes from. That's where like these compulsive like habits come from is you learning unhealthy mechanisms for coping with life's challenges, whether it's stress or like you're a perfectionist or you have like anxiety or something. 
or you're in like unhealthy relationships and you've, you've learned how to deal with them by viewing pornography. And so it's just really unhealthy, really affects negatively. And then it's an isolation. So you don't tell anyone about it. And that just makes it so you can never get help. And so that's how our marriage started. That's how we spent the first year of our marriage. And you can imagine like, we thought we had like built it on trust. We thought we had like a relationship built on like deep intimacy. But when you find right. out your spouse has been lying, that just like gets crushed. And I'm sure Katie can speak better to it, but I think that's like, well, a good <clears throat> thank you, Matt. So Katie, were there like red flags that like, that you could see that like, oh, this is like, I don't know. I guess you didn't know about it. So I don't know how I could ask you like how it affected Yeah, no. You, but... Yeah, I know. I know for some women like that I've talked to, there are red flags and maybe they just don't know a lot. Not that it's their fault like in any way, but maybe mm-hmm. they just don't know about it, aren't educated about what the red flags are. And for some women, it's just like their spouse is like an expert at lying and deceiving and looking at porn in secret because they've been doing it for most of their life, usually in that case. Um, but before we got married, like when we were, we were about to get engaged, I had the full conversation with Matt, like, Hey, what's your porn use and history? Like, I want to know about these things before we get into committed relationship. And he basically lied to me. Like he was telling me half truths a lot and was being pretty vague of like, um, yeah, I struggled with it before my mission, but now I'm like doing fine and I'm not struggling anymore. So I was like, okay, great. Like, this is awesome. So glad I don't have to deal with this in my marriage. Right. Um, and so we've been married for that point after we got married, it had been about a year until I found out about his addiction. And for that year, I wouldn't say that there were any red flags. I, I really thought that Matt and I had a really close relationship and a really good friendship and good foundation. And we were like built on the gospel and like all, all the things I felt like healthy relationships needed, but there were some times that I felt like there was something off and like, you can't even really put your finger on what it is exactly. But like there were, yeah, like some things just kind of felt off. And I was like, oh, maybe it's like, me like putting walls up or maybe Matt's putting walls up. We're still newly married, you know, and I'm young and I'm not, you know, like not connecting the dots kind of thing. Um, and so, but then around it, so it was on our first anniversary, actually the night before our first anniversary, when I first found out, like probably a couple of weeks before that, there were a couple of things that kind of stood out to me a little bit more. And I was feeling like, oh, maybe I should like ask him about this. I'm not really sure why I would be thinking that, you know? And then on the night of our first anniversary, I had like a very strong prompting from the spirit telling me that I needed to ask Matt more specifically about porn use and unhealthy behaviors and like sexual acting out and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I did not see that coming. You know, like I, Matt was and is just like an amazing husband and man in person. And I just look up to him so much. So it was, it was honestly just like, it shook me to figure this out about my husband that he'd been lying to me. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom like what that meant for him and for our marriage. Man, a clarifying question for you. So uh, that's so hard, especially like when you're newly married, because you're like, I don't really know what to expect. And there are walls that are there just because you're married and your new and your people that are like trying to bring together two separate lives and make them one life. Mm-hmm. Um and and so I think there are barrier barriers that have to over be overcome without pornography use being yeah. there. Right. Mm-hmm. So would you say that looking back on it there were like the these barriers that you're talking about, are they 
significantly different than just your regular barriers that you have to overcome when you're newly married? Or could you even possibly like separate those two, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Looking back now and understanding what I know about pornography use and some of the symptoms, some of the signs of it, I can see like, oh, like this mostly, mostly from Matt's end, because he was operating under a lot of unhealthy habits and a lot of unhealthy tendencies that I knew about at the time, but I didn't realize how far it went, if that makes sense. Like he was, he was learning to become an independent person and he was learning how to be a husband. I was dealing with like anxiety and hormones and things like that, you know? So like there, it was like really mixed together, but I would say knowing now looking back, I was like, yeah, like there there would have been something more going on that I just didn't know about. Something that Matt has really struggled with is codependency. And it's something that we didn't we don't we didn't know a lot about until his pornography addiction started coming to light more and he started really working through it. And so going into our marriage, he had so many codependent habits of like thinking about me first, prioritizing myself. He thinks his feelings don't matter. He minimizes himself. He belittles himself. And just like all these things that are just adding up that he doesn't know how to deal with. And so he's turning to porn and other acting out behaviors because he he just doesn't know how to cope in a stressful world, really. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? 100%. Yep. <laughs> well, and I guess like the way I would translate that to other people too is just like mm-hmm. a spouse that like, is doesn't know how to like take care of their needs, like puts up walls of like, um, I don't know, like struggles with like sense of self and like setting boundaries and like, sense having of like healthy, worthlessness. Yeah, and, definitely yeah. struggles with worthlessness, healthy relationships. Those people like definitely 100% will not, like it's not 100% that they will struggle with pornography or something like this. But if you have those like symptoms, oftentimes you're using some sort of a coping mechanism, whether it's like overeating or like, pornography or like drugs or alcohol or something like that. A lot of people learn to like numb feelings and like emotions in hard times um, with like these addictions, these vices. And that's the problem because you need to learn how to deal with them in healthy ways. So. And a lot of the times, like from what we've seen and learned about a lot of times it's men who have these deep rooted issues of codependency. And that often translates into (laughs) pornography use in or outside of a marriage. Matt, how do you feel like it, it uh how do you feel like hiding your pornography use affected your relationship with katie well looking back i can say that it's 180 degree difference um you just like can't live a life of and i'd say the biggest reason is dishonesty like porn is like a huge problem and it's like definitely it maims our soul it's like extremely toxic but I'd say the biggest problem there is like dishonesty. When you're like not being honest with yourself, you're not being honest with God, you're not being honest with your spouse. You can't like operate in like a deeply intimate way with your spouse in that in a way that's like required um, to like truly know each other, to build trust, to have like a good relationship. And so at the time being dishonest, I was dishonest about porn and that was pretty much it. But like fundamentally, like our relationship was built on like lies. And we had, we have like a great friendship, great relationship we're fundamentally like the same people that we were then, but like that deep intimacy and closeness and trust and like having the spirit in your home is just completely different now from where it was. Um, It went from like, honesty was like my biggest weakness to it's like one of my greatest strengths now. And like, I, I physically like cannot lie to Katie anymore just because of like how I notice like spirit leaving me, like when I do it. And that like just has implications 
beyond like anything else. And like for someone who's not even dealing with porn, like learning to like be truly honest with your spouse is like such a a good way to like connect and build trust and did you when you're in the midst of this, I know this is a problem with addiction. It's like you don't always recognize the effects of what's going on, right? Like was this like a, a an effect on your relationship that you were cognizant of while it was going on? Definitely not. I would not have said that that honesty was a big problem in marriage. I I mean, I, I knew that I needed to tell my wife and like be be honest with Katie. But like, yeah, you just you you get numbed, like you get um, desensitized to the effects of what you're doing. And like, it seems normal to like, look at porn. It's like this so destructive, so intense and like so wrong, but you get desensitized to it in the same way. Like in your marriage, you don't realize that by lying to your spouse, like you're, you're ruining trust. You're, you're like not allowing them to like live in like truth because you are like creating this like false narrative for them. And I don't know, it's super damaging and you have no yeah. idea. In the moment. Yeah. And I think for listeners, this is like a really, really important point to, to understand. Cause I've seen this in my job. I work with, um, people who are, so, so I own uh, an integrative health company or I'm part of an ownership group of an integrative health company. And one of the things that we do is behavioral health and specifically people with severe psychosis or substance abuse issues and people who are in like real, like abusive situations with like whether they're abusing alcohol or opioids or whatever it is like that behaviors become so normal, like for I use this example with Emily just to kind of explain it. I used it with her the other day. Oh yeah. It's like if like for people who are dealing with addictions, participating in that addictive behavior is just so normal. It's as if Emily said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go get a diet Coke. Like Mm -hmm. she, like she doesn't need to explain to me that she's getting a diet Coke or like come and admit to me that she's getting a diet Coke. Cause it's just so normal in their brain that it's hard to like have that, that reaction that they need to change something, right? That this is like, this, that this is a, a big deal that's mm-hmm. happening, right? Yeah. It's like when it's, when it's the first time it's a big deal, but then after a while it becomes habitual. It's just like anything else, right? Like you just, you're so used to it. It's just like turning on the lights or flipping on the office or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So yeah. it, it sounds like it was a similar thing. Yeah, I'm like, I'll amend what I said by saying that you know it's wrong, but you just don't think that you need help. And like, you don't think that it's that big of a deal. Like you think I'll be able to fix it later or like this, like one little lie won't like hurt or like something like that. But those are like the lies and the desense, like when you're desensitized to it, that just seem normal. So yeah. Okay. Sorry. Now back, back to oh, no, no. I'm just... our regular scheduled programming. So <laughs> um, this, this is our program. Yes. <laughs> okay. So kind of jumping ahead a little bit, Katie's found out about what's going on. How does it, how does the addiction affect yeah. the marriage at this point? Well, and like, so Katie said how, how you had like a prompting to go and ask yes, Matt. Yeah. Matt, what was it like for you when she asked you, like, what was that like? realization like yeah we had we had actually like skipping ahead just slightly we also had we had two instances where katie felt prompted to ask me and yeah it's like really sobering to have your spouse just like confront you and just know that like you can't lie anymore because like they found out and they can find out again and um yeah that's like really it's really intense it's also like it's it's hard to like deal with but it's also so relieving to tell someone and like I've heard so many addicts talk about just like what it's like when like you get arrested or like something like that when someone finds out 
and just how like relieving it is to just like mm. wow weights like finally off your shoulders like even though you're like I was in for like weeks and months of like hardship with Katie it was like so amazing to just be like wow I am finally free of like this burden that I have been carrying um but yeah it's like really sobering to to know that your spouse can can find out from like from heaven <laughs> that you are lying to them so. <laughs> well Katie I imagine that for you it was less relieving to find yeah I was gonna say I'm glad he was feeling so good about that (laughs) no I could I could honestly like when I confronted him about it the first time and the second time which we'll get to I could just tell like a weight lifted off his shoulders immediately like it was just it was insane just like his everything about him was just kind of like giving up kind of and just like okay I'm done like I don't have to like be living this life anymore he just like felt so relieved Um, but yeah, it was not fun for me. It was completely devastating. Um, we had been married for a year and we're about to celebrate our first anniversary and we're just excited and to find out that Matt had been lying to me. And like, of course the porn use, um, no one's happy about that. Or most people are not happy to find something out like that. But for me, it was more just the lying that I was so devastated by. And it just made me feel really scared of like, who is this person that I married? I thought that I knew him. And I think we have a lot more problems than I ever even thought we did. And so that was really scary. And I think like for me at that time, I had a lot of misconceptions about porn use and marriage. And I think a lot of women and people in general do. Um, I, I was, I was really scared, like, oh my gosh, like we're probably going to have to get a divorce. Like as if you just like get a divorce when you find out about porn use and there's nothing that leads up to it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, I just was like, Oh my goodness. Like I just hear about this all the time that people have porn in their marriage and then they decide to get divorced afterwards. And so I was just like really scared about that. And I, I just kind of started my personality is just to kind of be like, okay, here's like a checklist of all the things that we need to do. And like, you need to go talk to the Bishop. You need to get a priesthood blessing. We're going to pray and read our scriptures. And like, we're going to get through this, you know? So I was just kind of trying to um, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And while also dealing with this like deep, intense betrayal that I was experiencing and trying to like make sense of my life and make sense of our relationship. Right. Because I mean, I've just listened to like, stories or highlights on your Instagram a little bit, but like, it's like, you want to help him so much, but then it's like, well, what about me? Like, who's helping me out here? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's, that's, what's like so hard about betrayal trauma is you see your spouse who's struggling. And like, I felt for him and I love him so much and I wanted to help him, but he hurt me so badly. And it's just like this really uncomfortable place of like, how do I put up boundaries? How do I keep myself safe? while also like trying to be unified with my spouse. It's just like such a tricky place to navigate for betrayed spouses. Wow. Um, Well, and I just wanted to um, highlight here for those who are not members of the church or maybe who are members of the church, but have not been endowed, like for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, like this has, like pornography use has like additional weight, right? Because uh, in the, and I'll just kind of briefly explain this. And then if you guys want to talk to this point, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So I think most Christians understand that pornography use is, is inappropriate, right? And is a sin because especially on the Sermon on the Mount, when the savior was talking about, you know, like, it's not just committing adultery, it's seeing another woman lusting after her. Right. And so that's like a pretty, um, 
simple explanation of what pornography is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in one of our holiest ordinances, um, we go through this thing called the endowment ceremony, and we enter into several covenants, right? It's like some of the most sacred covenants we enter into, and one of the highest of those is the law of chastity, right? It's like this special commitment to keep ourselves sexually pure and only engage in sexual relations with our with our spouse and then like the single highest ordinance in the church is being sealed to our spouse which is really the culmination of those previous previous ordinances and so there's and there's a lot that goes into that that we don't need to get into now about like the afterlife and how our theology deals with that and like the role of the law of chastity and and marriage and that. So anything you want to say on that topic? Because I know that there's like a lot of added weight with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting. Like pornography use is a, that's interesting, but it, it definitely, I will say it damages like your spirit. I said that at the beginning, it's, it's something that you do that really disconnects you with God. And God still loves you. He still wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Still wants to bless you as you're like struggling with pornography use. But it is something where when you're doing it, it's just it's a lot harder to feel the spirit. It's harder to make like good decisions to um, feel close to Heavenly Father, to close to Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> I do believe that's because like, chastity is such a big thing that <clears throat> ultimately, like you said, I have covenanted to keep, and we have covenanted to, to keep the law of chastity. Um, but like I and it just stems from like, yeah, following Jesus Christ, following his teachings of uh, like he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's great that you brought that up because that gets to like the core of it. Like that's a great argument for um, like, I'm always like, people are always like, well, pornography is not bad. And like, I have all these reasons why it is bad, but ultimately like Jesus Christ, like said, don't like, don't even like look at a woman. Like, cause if you do, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And I think like that just, that just gets to the heart of it. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, no problem. Um, There were two things that Katie was talking about that I wanted to kind of ask about or um, get a little bit more from, but you talked briefly, like you mentioned it for like a second, but like, um, like putting together like a plan and almost like wanting to control him or like fix him or something. Um, But like how in that phase of recovery for both of you, like how did that help and hurt? That's a great question. And that's something that um, in my own individual recovery from betrayal trauma that I have had to learn and work through and learn to overcome. And I, th- I feel like it's a really big step in betrayal trauma recovery is letting go of the control and just surrendering your life and your situation to God and just allowing being okay with where you are at instead of like always worrying about your spouse and where they are at. And so like, yeah, like I said, I like had a plan and for a, for a long time, like about 10 months, we were working through my plan and I was kind of like managing him. And he was like, yeah, I'm working on my recovery. We started going to the 12 step meetings, which we both loved. Um, But yeah, I just, I felt like I had it all under control and he was telling me that things were getting a lot better for him. He wasn't having any relapses. He was doing a lot better. And so I was feeling really happy, like, okay, great. Like now that he's better, I'm better too. And our marriage is like fine and fixed now. Um, And so moving forward a little bit. So I found out like on our first year anniversary, and then 10 months later, we had been working through, working through recovery as I thought, or so I thought. And, um, about 10 months in, 
I had another like very strong impression. Matt is lying to you. You need to go talk to him. And that was just like even more devastating than the first time. And I just couldn't even believe it. And I was like, we are doing all the things we're including heavenly father. He's doing his recovery. I'm making sure he is. And why isn't this working? If this isn't working, like what else is going to work? And I feel like that was the lowest point for both of us in, in our journeys. Yeah. Well, so you, she felt the prompting. She confronted me. I had been lying. I had been lying like in 12 set meetings when we like would attend that, you know, you'd say like, you know, for me it's day 10 or day whatever. And I was on like day 150 at that point, but like in truth, I was on like day zero or day one. Like I was messing up with pornography all the time. Wasn't telling Katie about it. And um, yeah, it was like really hard time, really low when Katie just kind of realized, I think that like, she just has like no power to like control me and fix this thing. And it was a time for me, like, like I said, very sobering where I just realized um, I have to like be honest and I have to like fix this myself um, with God. So yeah, that's big for us, big moment. So how do you like when you when you come to that point where you realize, Matt, that you have to fix this with God and Katie, that you can't just control him into recovering? Um, like what what happens then? I've heard you talk a little bit about like sponsors and like um, just just now that you um, mentioned that you had to like focus on where you're at and not exactly where he's at. But yeah, so there's. There's like an example of like the three-legged stool. Matt and I were determining whether it's legged or legged. Legged stool. <laughs> Don't know how to say it. I like, I like legged. legged. I know. We were like, that sounds so weird, but <laughs> maybe the three-legged stool. I, I, feel like we can't, I feel like when it's used as a, like a past, when it's a past participle, I want it to be legged. <laughs> Like blessed, yeah, like blessed. blessed. Right, or blessed maybe we're just scripture people, and so we we we're see just, the word blessed. We, yeah, the, we the scripture people. <laughs> it makes it more dramatic. I feel like three legged. So yeah. yeah. So we'll go with that. So anyway, so it has three legs. The stool has three legs on it, and one one of the legs is the betrayed spouse and her recovery. We're using her as an example. It could be him too. Um, so one one stool or one chair. Sorry, one leg is for the betrayed spouse, one leg is for the addict or the user, and then one leg is for the marriage. And so there's an example that I like to use that you cannot mend a marriage, you can't heal and fully recover in your marriage unless each of you are both working on your own recoveries. If Matt is choosing to act out and be unhealthy and blame and whatever it is that he's doing, I can put up boundaries and I can be working on myself, but it's going to be really hard to like heal our marriage together and vice versa. He can't really heal if I'm, if I'm sitting around and just like waiting for him to get better, but I'm not working on my own recovery, then it's going to be really hard for us to grow in our marriage. So that's something that we really had to learn. And it was a huge turning point for me in my own recovery and just realizing like, I have to give this up. Like I I've spent 10 months trying to control this and it's not working. And I'm making myself like sick with worry and anxiety and control and it's not working. So what's the next step? I just kind of need to let go of Matt and his recovery. And regardless of what he's doing and how he's doing, I can fully heal and I can be healed through Jesus Christ. I can put up boundaries. I can be a safe person for myself. And that's what I had to really start focusing on. And that's when I started feeling better for myself. Yeah. For me, I just realized that I couldn't lie my way through this. I couldn't just fix it by myself. I kind of just realized that like it was my low of lows where I realized that I needed help 
I had a problem. I had a problem with lying. I had a problem with pornography. Um, and that like, I really truly needed help and I needed to just be honest with the people around me or else like I wouldn't be able to heal. And it's crazy because as I started doing that, I just I started just telling hard truths. Like when I messed up, I told Katie, when I messed up, I told a sponsor and a sponsor is just someone who has worked through like a 12 step program or is ahead of you um, in their recovery from like pornography use who can help you and like guide you through it. And I think they're amazing because so often people like me rely on our spouses to like be that person where we like tell them when we mess up, ask them for help, stuff like that. And that really weighs on like the marriage. Um, but if you have someone outside of it, A, they're like an expert in it because they've gone through it themselves and B, it takes a, like a load off your spouse. And then your relationship with your spouse is like more pure. It's just like a marriage instead of like a marriage and like a sponsorship. So mm-hmm. I would tell my sponsor when I messed up, I would go to meetings and I would tell the truth about where I was at. I was meeting with my my bishop and talking to him about where I was at. And like by being honest, I was able to get help. And then as I got help, I was finally able to get free from this. And I had like a few more like relapses, a few more instances where like I used pornography. But after that instance, um, things just really changed and went went well, like a lot better. Um, and I worked through the 12 steps and um, ultimately now, like I said, four years porn free. So did, did you notice the difference, Matt, when on Katie like made that switch that she was talking about, like made that switch from trying to focus on fixing you and instead try to focus on fixing her, like I am finding her own healing. Yeah, I definitely do. And I think um, it's a hard balance because you want to be like loving and kind um, like Katie does, but also like the best thing that she did was let it be my responsibility to heal from this. And when you kind of like take that control away and you're just like, Hey, I'm sorry. And I don't think she said this in like as distinctly as this, but the message was kind of sent like, you need to like fix this. And like, I need to fix myself. We'll always be married. I love you so much, but like, this is on you. Like I can't fix this by sending me that message. Like she forced me to deal with like the consequences of my actions. And by, and that's like the best teacher in the world. It's like dealing with the consequences of your actions. Um, Mm -hmm. And by doing that, like I was able to then take this thing seriously, take responsibility and like get clean. So yeah. How did you feel like the savior was involved in this process, right? Like was the savior more like Katie before or was it more, was the savior more like Katie afterwards? (laughs) Oh man. Um, That's a great question because I have always like believed in Jesus Christ. I've always had a testimony of him and his gospel, but, and all through this recovery. And I feel like the 12 steps, the purpose of them, well, the purpose that I believe they were created for is to connect us with Jesus Christ and like connect us with his atonement. But as I was going through the 12 steps and really healing from this, I really struggled to understand Jesus Christ, to feel him in my life and to understand how his atonement is working in me. Cause to me at the time, it felt like a checklist. It felt like I texted my sponsor. <clears throat> I texted my sponsor every day. I called my sponsor once a week. I worked through the steps for 15 minutes a day. I went to a meeting every week. I met with like a therapist, like there were like all these checklist items that I had to do every day. I woke up and I prayed before I went to sleep. I prayed, I read the scriptures and Jesus Christ wasn't as real to me at that point. And looking back on it, because now I feel a savior every day in my life. I understand him. Um, I know like how his like atonement works. I know how I can be cleansed and healed, but looking back on it, I really believe that like Jesus Christ taught me and he was present by allowing me to like struggle through that, allowing me to like go through and learn how to like develop these habits, learning how to like rely on him, even if like I didn't hear him or feel him. 
And if he had just like pulled me out of this, taken like my addiction from me, taken like my struggles from me, I probably wouldn't have learned all the amazing things that I learned. All of those weaknesses wouldn't have become strengths. But now looking back, I can see how the savior was in my life. And now I I feel him like so frequently. So I like I can see like how he he takes my burdens, he carries them, he transforms me, like he redeems me. And so much of that I feel like was just like the savior. Like I learned so much of that as I felt like I didn't see the savior next to me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah I think it makes total sense. I, I think the it's becoming more and more clear, at least to me, that as we approach the the savior second coming it's fascinating right as we approach the savior second coming the world gets crazier there's more wickedness in the world more people are struggling with more intense things and it's almost baffling that the lord's response is to almost step farther back right mm-hmm. as far as like um so you look at the first for the oh gosh what do they call it now it's the for strength of youth guidebook is yeah. that what it's called for strength of youth guidebook now I can't tell you. Whatever the first strength of youth book is, mm-hmm. booklet. How they the the Lord has instructed the church to go in and basically remove some of the more specific guidelines and instead teach principles. So like he's stepping, like it's almost like he's stepping back so that we can step closer, right? Instead of like having these like principles or these 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 prescriptions in between us and God, he's like removing those so we have to step closer to him if we want to understand. And if we want to feel him or feel close to him and access the, the power of his atonement. Uh, and so I, I just think it's a fascinating thing to hear this play out in your, in your circumstance and in, in your marriage that like the Lord was saying, Hey, I'm giving you, I need to give you more chances to exercise your agency. And also the way to heal is for you to give each other more chances to exercise your agency. And as you're able to do that, like exercising agency seems to be like the most basic element of the cleansing process of the atonement of Christ, right? Like you have to have that exercising of free will in order for everything else to activate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is something I feel very strongly about. I, I love you bringing up like that example of the strength of youth um, for the strength of youth, because I think like the classic example to me is like a Q&A session. So many people go to a Q&A, even with like apostles to get like deep life questions answered. And that's like not the purpose of a Q&A. A Q&A is to go there, understand like more about like doctrine, understand like what they're like thinking, like learn new ways of like thinking and stuff like that. The true like way to find answers, the way to find learning is to spend like consistent applied effort in the scriptures, in prayer, in pondering over time. And over a lifetime, you learn so many amazing things. That's that's how the apostles and prophets and like leaders have learned so many things. But so often we're looking for like these quick answers. And it's just, it's all about like that compli- like applied effort over, over a lifetime. And uh, so I, I love that. I think that's amazing. Yeah. That's a great point. So Matt, you've been free from this for four years, right? Yeah, just okay. four years. So what, I mean, how are you guys now? What is, what does it look like now? It looks, we're good. <laughs> Fine. Like there's no problems at all. So, things are significantly better. We are both, like I said, like we are both healed from the inside out. 
And we are, we have been healed through Jesus Christ and we have been healed in our marriage, but that's not to say that it doesn't come with problems or trials still. This is something, I, I don't know how other people feel about this, but for Matt and for me, this is something that Matt will struggle with for his whole life. It's something that he's a little more sensitive to, and it's like a habit and he has to work on it every day, every week. It's something that we talk about really frequently, even outside of our Instagram and things like that, you know? So it's something that we're still dealing with, but we have learned the the skills as individuals to then take it into our marriage and like learn how to cope better. And we have systems and we just communicated about so much better. And those, those are things that you don't learn overnight. It's things that you learn in the middle of the struggle when things are just feeling really, really hard and you just keep working and you keep working together and working through Jesus Christ. And then you can start to learn and start to grow. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Okay. That's good to hear. Well, I I think a question that you guys have probably feel quite a bit or people are are wondering. I don't know if the people are asking, but I know our listeners are probably curious. Like, uh, Katie, how how do you deal with, I I imagine there are trust issues that come, that come in or come into play here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like how do you deal with that? But still like, how do you make sure that in your marriage that, how do I say this? A valid amount of attention and validation is given to your fears while still allowing space for trust? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And it is something I just got asked that today and more specifically about triggers, right? So like Matt has triggers for his porn use and I have triggers for my betrayal trauma. And it's something that I've had to work through for years and years. And like, there are still times even now that something comes up and I feel triggered. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what if he's lying to me again? What if I'm going to get another prompting? What if like we're at the beach and things are, you know, a lot, a lot of swimsuits and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's he thinking? Like, what's going to happen? You know, it's just like, there's still stuff on my mind. And still, sometimes I worry that he is lying to me or something, he's going to mess up or something. Um, and so that's something that I've had to work through and learn how to manage my own triggers. And again, it's not easy and it takes a lot of time to figure out, but I've been able to learn to manage that. So it's gotten a lot easier over time, even though it still is hard sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being so willing to be so open. I'm sure it wasn't always as easy to talk about this, especially yeah, together. No, yeah. Um, but I mean, speaking of, you have some resources for your followers, at least um, conversation starters and things that you've put together, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So we we're we're really wanting to focus on the betrayed spouse right now. I I personally feel, and I know Matt feels this way too. I personally feel like um, for someone who has been struggling with betrayal trauma, it's an underserved community and they're also undervalued. There are, there are like few resources for men struggling with pornography in the LDS community, but there are even few, fewer resources for women who are struggling, um, and experiencing betrayal trauma. And so I, I felt that so deeply as I was going through this and like trying to work through my own trauma. And so this is something that I'm really wanting to push and try to get really actual, actually helpful resources out to these women who don't know where else to turn. And so our conversation starters is based or um, is founded on the spouse who has, who is experiencing betrayal trauma. And like the name it's, it's less about like, 
confronting your spouse about a perfect way to talk to them or a perfect way to bring up things, but it's more about like setting expectations, setting boundaries. A lot of the times in a marriage when where there's porn use, I, I a lot of times felt like I was walking on eggshells where I wanted to have a check-in with Matt and see where he was at, see what's happening, see where we at, where we were at in our marriage. And I just felt like it never really went well. And there was a lot of defensiveness, a lot of blaming, a lot of hurt feelings. So that can be really tricky. So our conversation starters addresses all those topics. We talk about how to be vulnerable and validating with your spouse and how to bring up these really tricky conversations that come to um, that come from betrayal, trauma and addiction recovery. Yeah. And I'll say conversation starters is a free resource that we have. People can DM us on Instagram. Uh, and on TikTok, it's like at upward, inward, outward um, on both of those platforms. And yeah, it's an awesome resource. Katie mostly created that, um, but like, it's seriously amazing. It's a great way to talk to your spouse. So, And I, I feel like we have the advantage, like you said, like a lot of people work um, kind of like on their own recoveries and maybe put out resources like for their own recoveries. But I love what Matt and I are doing. And it's so important to us because conversation starters, like it is for spouses and for women specifically, but it has Matt's perspective in it too, where it talks about your your spouse, your husband might be feeling like these things. And so it's kind of a good perspective for both people. And that's what we're really trying to bring on our platforms is a perspective so you can understand each other and then work together better. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. So yeah. two questions. And then I think Emily has another question or two. Uh, first. Whose idea was it to start like talking about this publicly uh, on an Instagram? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Matt, what was it? Was it your idea it, or Katie? It takes we, us back. It does. It takes us back. So when we were going to twelve step meetings, we were going to meetings that were together. So it was like for spouses, which is really unique. Um, so like one week we'd study like the twelve steps for like the the addict spouse, and the next week we would study the church has like a twelve principles guide for spouses and support people. We would hmm. study from that. And that got Katie and I working on it together. Um, and as we were going through that, we just felt like we want to do more. Let's do more. And um, we had some experiences like getting up in like elders quorum and like a church and like sharing our story and got like amazing feedback from people like, wow, we've been struggling with this. We didn't know anyone else who was struggling. And so we had the idea of starting a podcast. And so in 2021, we started a podcast and um, we did that for about six months and we just kind of shared like our experience, other people's stories, talked about it. And we we just loved that we were like, we were getting feedback from people. Wow, like this is my exact same story. And like, it was like so powerful, but like the timing wasn't totally right on that one. So we put that on pause. And then, yeah, last year it was we just We did like, some firesides as well. We were like people, uh, yes. we did some firesides for some different wards and like fifth Sundays and stuff. And so we did them together. So it kind of just always like started as like a tech together thing. Yeah. And I would say like, I kind of drove it because step 12 in the 12 steps is all about like sharing um, what you've learned now with other people, not necessarily like big platforms, but like right. just opening just, up like, giving your back. and like, it's like truly one of the best ways to like stay sober. Um, but like Katie was always just like on board. And like she said, like so many women need like that support. Um, that was like, there's a lot of men who like, well, can stand up and like talk about this, but like women, like don't get that help as much. And so he was on board. And then, yeah, this like last time when we started our Instagram account, um, it like, it just was me banging my head on a wall for months, just trying to figure out like how, like, I just felt like the spirit prompting me to like do more. But trying to figure out what that looked like. Trying to figure out what that looked like. Yeah. So we're still well, figuring it out, you know. But, well, you're really good at it. So yeah. both of you are Thanks. really great at it. Well, I, what I, I love about this process is not just about, like what you're doing now, but your 
couple repentance process, right? In, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we firmly believe that uh, salvation is a personal matter between you and the Savior, but exaltation, uh, where we receive everything that our Father wants to give us, is a is a family matter, right? It's really a couple matter. So you do this as a couple. And so like having see or hearing your story about you going through this repentance process individually and then also maritally, uh, I think is really cool. It's a really cool embodiment of that principle. So my 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 last question is for for you, Katie, kind of on this this topic. Uh, some people might look at this. And, and maybe it might be extreme in this example, but, um, and might say, Hey, why are you like, why are you dealing with this? Like, what, why do you want to, um, like, what makes you want to fight for, for this instead of just moving on and going find somebody else so you don't have to deal with this? Yeah. I get that question all the time. And we have some people message us and like, just divorce him. Like, what are you doing? You know, like there's kind of that mentality. (laughs) Among a lot of women, like even I just, I just want to say, Matt, I'm not advocating for your divorce. I just wanted to ask <laughs> a question. For being on that <laughs> I got you, man. I'm over here turning. No, I, it's hard enough. Totally you it's hard enough to answer. Okay, guys. <laughs> no, I totally get you, and it's it really and it's a tricky topic because you you want to be sensitive to both sides because there is a wide range, like a wide spectrum of husbands or men who are acting out. And sometimes it is in really intense ways and abusive ways where, yeah, you would maybe consider getting a divorce. And like, that's just something that you can't put up with. But there are times that I believe like Matt and I believe that it's not always that black and white where they look at porn, they struggle with porn. I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, I'm just going to divorce him. We we firmly believe that there are lots of options and there's lots of help. And if you were both, like a lot of the times I'll tell women, look more at their other works instead of just their porn use. Like ask, ask yourself questions about them. Like, are they actively repenting and taking their problems to the bishop? Are they willing to change and get help? Are they going to meetings or getting treatment? Are they being honest with you? Like there are just so many other things to look at instead of just like, is he looking at porn? Yes or no, leave him kind of thing, you know? And so that's something that I think women can always be considerate of and consider of whether this is a situation that is salvageable and he is putting in the work. Um, And it's also very important to, for me, it was really, really helpful for me to understand addiction and like what that looks like for someone and to know that Matt wasn't trying to like ruin our life. He wasn't trying to like do these horrible things to me or to himself, but it was more just like an unhealthy coping mechanism and it's completely inappropriate and no excuses for that, but it is something that we can work with if he gets the right help and the right treatment. So that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, but it, it's definitely like an individual matter and a personal matter. Yeah. Well, and I, I love what you're saying because effectively uh, what you're saying is um, it was mirroring what, not president. He's just brother Wilcox, right? He's in the Sunday school presidency. Yeah, I don't even know. But yeah, so bro, just brother Wilcox. Brother Wilcox said not in this past conference, but the conference before about not the young man who's oh, struggling with with, oh, with, uh-huh, with yeah. pornography addiction, right? Because yeah. he was struggling with pornography addiction, and he said, like he went to his bishop and said, "I just feel like such a hypocrite." And the bishop said, "You're not a hypocrite for having weakness. Like you'd be a hypocrite if you weren't trying to be better, right?" And so. I, again, I I love that the response 
from this, from like everything you're talking about as far as like what a response should be like from a spouse is, is similar to how the savior deals with people, right? He's like looking for progression. Now, again, I'm going to say that with an asterisk, right? Like people out there whose spouses are, are struggling with, with addictions, like you're not expected to stay there forever. Like the savior is right. Right. Like you need to make sure that you're safe and you're being taken care of and and whatnot. Uh, But still the, the way that you help your spouse be better, if they're in a place where they can be better, it's by treating them just like the savior would treat them or Mm -hmm. is treating them. Hopefully not hopefully is treating them. Right. Cause the savior's always doing that good thing. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, like that is not to say like you are going to feel angry, you are going to feel betrayed and you're going to, it's going to take you some time to forgive, you know, like you're not just automatically going to be like, okay, great. Like, let's work through this together. I forgive you. You know, it's a process. And if it's something that you are willing to go through, the savior can help you get there. And I see just a lot of women who ask me like, will the bitterness ever go away? Will the anger ever go away? Will I ever feel like I want to stay instead of wanting to leave him? And the truth is, it's completely up to her. It's it's up to the person who's dealing with that. It's not, it's not like a victim mentality. It's a agency mentality. Like you said, you have the agency to choose to continue working and continue healing through the, through the savior. And he makes that possible for you. Yeah. So you guys didn't serve in Russia and that's okay. <laughs> uh, but did, have you read any of Dostoevsky? Like, have you happened to, have you read Carbon Punishment per chance? No, I read something in college, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. Well, I would highly recommend Crime and Punishment. It's one of the best novels out there. Um, So there's this this character in Crime and Punishment. Her name is Sonia. And she, in some ways, epitomizes Christ, which is crazy because Sonia ends up having or ends up becoming a prostitute. But Mm -hmm. her whole role is that she is like absorbing like the unfairness in, in life and the unfairness in the situations she's in with her family and with those around her. And instead of like allowing it to turn her bitter, like she absorbs it and then forgives and then is able to then with that forgiveness, with that price she's paid, like help people really progress and like really move on. Uh, And so I, I I like this. It's a hard thing, but I think, being a savior on Mount Zion, like the savior calls us to be, a lot of it is this absorbing of unfairness, right? And instead of throwing it back at whoever is causing the unfairness, like absorbing and turning to the savior and absorbing it with him and however long that takes, right? So like there's a forgiveness process and you're angry and you're frustrated. But if you let the Lord change that bitterness and unfairness in you, he can make it into something like really beautiful and make you a savior on Mount Zion. Cause I imagine for Matt, this would have been a much more difficult repentance process if you weren't able to come at it from such a good place, Katie. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. My, that was my spiel. Yeah. I have to talk about Dostoevsky as much as I can. <laughs> Sonia is my favorite character in all of literature, but yeah. I can't, I can't talk about her enough. So, so um, unless you have any more questions. Nope. I'm done. I've talked too much. I'm good. So our last question that we try to ask all our guests, and except that I forget a lot, um, <laughs> is and this could be related to the topic or not, but how are you making your home an outpost of heaven currently? It is 
unique with like toddlers who don't totally grasp the idea of like Jesus Christ. Um, they're really good at praying, but it's just because they hear us, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like as Katie and I have come closer to the savior, I've experienced our home becoming more of an outpost of heaven. And I'll say that's come um, a long way since we've obviously like dealt with this since I've dealt with my pornography use. Um, but I just feel like as the two of us have come closer to Jesus Christ, as the two of us have come closer to each other through that, I have felt such a distinct um, feeling of like peace in our home. And I think so much of that comes from like us seeking the Lord's will. I love, that's what I do every day when I read the Book of Mormon, when I read the scriptures, I'm seeking the Lord's will. And I have truly felt him like guide our family. He guided us here to South Carolina. I have no doubt about that. He guided us um, in choosing like what to study and like where to go to work and like things like that. And sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, it's like silence is what God gives us. And sometimes it's like direction. Um, but either way, I know he's like in the details of our lives. And I I really feel like that gives us peace and like the spirit in our home in such a powerful way. Yeah, I agree with that. And for me personally, my scripture study, my prayer, my worship of Heavenly Father and of Jesus Christ lead me to have more faith and trust in them. And that's something that's been a journey for me. And it's something as a mother that I sometimes worry about, how am I going to raise my kids in in righteous ways? How am I going to turn them to the Lord? How can I make our home this outpost of heaven filled with the Spirit? And as I have learned to trust and rely on the Lord more and more personally, like Matt, like I've, I've noticed the savior and the spirit in our home so much more in our marriage with our children and in the decisions that we make. So I am so grateful for my savior and everything that he has taught me and done for me in my own healing journey and my own redemption experience. And Matt, of course, and I'm just so grateful for them and for the gospel that they've given to us. Thank you guys so much for being here with us. We appreciate everything you had to share. So guys, go follow them. What is it again? Upward, inward, outward? Yep, that's right. Okay. Upward, inward, outward on Instagram. Go follow them. They have so much content. Yep. If you are extremely lazy and don't like to type things in like I do, we will have that in the show notes. So you just (laughs) open the show notes up and click on that and then I'll take you there. (laughs) Yep. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed this, this episode. Um, if you, I think there are so many people that are going to benefit from this. Um, and there are a lot of people that may not know about our podcast that can benefit this, benefit from this episode. If you know anybody who might be able to benefit, not from my words, because I just talked about the history of Armenia and about <laughs> Russian literature too much, uh, but from all the great things that Matt and Katie talked about, please share this episode. Uh, send it to them and let us know if you like it. Yep. Reviews and ratings help a lot. So we appreciate that. All right, guys. Yep. <laughs> Keep the faith. Bye.